But it's good to see all of you here. We're going to be studying from the book of Habakkuk, uh, which maybe you haven't studied in a while, but I think that there are some interesting lessons for us today, and especially in this time. And uh, if you have your Bibles turned there, and we're going to be looking at that book today and, uh, and looking what the prophet has to say about his time and what the implications are for us. But the, the thing that I want to begin with us thinking about this morning is that of questioning. We've all got questions, don't we? And if you don't have questions, then I would probably suggest that you're not thinking. Because if you're thinking, you're going to have a question eventually, right? And so a part of thinking is asking questions. And, and Habakkuk is a man with some questions. And it's about questions about the most important subjects in life. And we've always had questions about God, haven't we? Whether it be about God's nature, who He is, whether it be about whether there is a God, or maybe questions about how God interacts with humanity right now? Questions. And, and probably the reason why we have so many questions is, for one thing, God is transcendent. He is above us. He is beyond us. And so sometimes just by Him merely being God brings questions into our minds. And Isaiah says, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord for His as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is God. And by virtue of Him being God, that means we're going to have some questions at times. Paul said it like this, the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness stronger than that of man. Questions about who God is. I'm reminded of a story of two young boys, and they were mischievous. They were mischievous, and they got into a lot of trouble. And I'm not talking about me and my twin brother asking for a friend, right? That's what we say. But these two kids were constantly getting in trouble. They were constantly causing trouble in their communities. They were constantly causing trouble in their church and their school and so on. And everybody was, how are we going to straighten these kids out? And their parents heard of a preacher who was a staunch disciplinarian who had straightened out a bunch of kids before and he was going to straighten out these two boys. So the preacher came to the house and sat the youngest down. He was about eight years old, sat him down. And the massive preacher, most preachers are kind of massive, said, where is God? The little boy just took off running. And he went and he hid in the place where his other brother was. And his other brother said, what do you want? And he said, God is missing. And they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> When we begin to think about who God is and where God is, it has everything to do with right now. 
Where is God? Habakkuk, the name, the etymology of the name Habakkuk is interesting because it, there's indication that both means to embrace and at the same time to wrestle. And can't that somewhat describe your own journey with God that sometimes you, you embrace Him with everything that you got and then sometimes maybe you're wrestling with God, wrestling with the idea of God or where God is in certain moments of your life or in certain moments that are happening in our world. Paul said, oh man, who are you to reply against God? Can the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me thus? Doesn't the potter have power over the clay? And maybe there is some futility to wrestling with God, but it doesn't stop us from doing it sometimes. And remember, Moses, when he was called to lead the people out of Egypt, not only questioned God, but he questioned himself. He says, who am I, Lord, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should lead the people out of Israel? Questioning God's wisdom. Why are you picking me, Lord? Last time I checked, I'm just a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere and you want me to go into Egypt and do what? Free a nation? Or maybe like Jacob himself who literally wrestled with the Lord, it says, and begged for a blessing. And can we not forget that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There was wrestling going on in the garden. Man's humanity in submission to God. And Habakkuk had questions about what was going on. Look at chapter 1 with me, verses 2 through 4. And I want you to listen to these words and see if it doesn't relate to where we are. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arising. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceed. Habakkuk is looking into the world he's living in. He's looking into 7th century Israel and he's seeing what? He's seeing violence. He's seeing people abandon the will of God. And what do they have as a result? Malicious corruption, greed, disregard. And is it any different from today? I saw in the news over this past week that you can go back and you can get some back-to-school things, which we did. Not only can you pick out great little cute clothes for your kids, and not only can you pick out crayons and, and school books and all of those things, that you, but you can even get yourself a bulletproof backpack. You can buy them today. Habakkuk is saying, 
Violence. Is our world any different? And then he looks to God and he says, where are you? Where are you to save us? And then God replies to him, and it's interesting because he says, I'm going to judge the people of Israel. I'm going to do something that's going to wow you. And he says that I am rising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to pronounce judgment on them. And then the back question is not just about where he is, but then he's like, is that really fair? That you're going to use a people more evil than my people to judge us. And so Habakkuk has these questions about what God is doing. And in the midst of this, God gives the prophet consolation. And he finds consolation, number one, in faith. That's the first consolation. And that's really where our journey with God has to begin, is in faith. And in Habakkuk, in chapter 2, look at these words. The Lord replies at the, at the questioning of Habakkuk. And He says, Write the vision and make it plain on ta- tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. But it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The first consolation that the Lord gives Habakkuk is, it's about faith. And sometimes that's the hardest battle within all of us, is to believe that God has got us. But we have to be people who are nurturing faith within us. We can't let that fire go out within us. We can't let that hope go out within us. We have to nurture that precious gift that says, I believe. We don't hang on to it by accident. Just like when you start a fire in the woods, when you're camping out, you don't keep the fire going by looking at it and not doing anything. You have to tend to it. And just like that, you have to tend to the fire of faith that's within us. I'm reminded of that man when his son was needing to be healed. He cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The disciples requested of Jesus himself, increase our faith. I need my faith to be increased. Don't you? We need to nurture that faith that's within us through being together, through studying God's Word, and by encouraging the people that are around you. We have to nurture the faith in each other. He also says there is a consolation in truth. Because no matter what the circumstances are, there is a truth that stands above whoever, whatever. He says in chapter 2.14, listen to this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the waters as they cover the sea. There is a truth that every person is accountable for. It's true. Otherwise, if there is no truth, which is self-defeating, by the way, because if you claim, listen to this, oh, there is no truth. Well, then you can ask the question very quickly, well, is that true? Well, if it's true, then there is a truth. And it's self-defeating. But what does relativism tell us? 
And that's what the world would have you believe, that you got your right, I got my right, there's that truth and this truth, and everybody's got a truth, and we're okay. But that's unlivable. It's untenable. And listen to what happens as a result. Michael Novak said this. I want you to listen to these words. Totalitarianism, as Mussolini defined it, is the will to power unchecked by any regard for truth. To surrender the claims of truth upon humans is to surrender earth to thugs. You see, when you let go of the fact that there's truth, then that means no one's accountable to anything but to whoever's in power. And then whoever's in power doesn't have to answer to truth either because you don't and I don't. Why should they have to answer the truth? Truth is necessary. And there is a consolation in the truth because when we see the wickedness that's around us, we understand that they too will have to stand accountable. There's a consolation of faith. There's a consolation of truth. And then there's the consolation of worship. Listen to what it says in chapter 220. It's a beautiful verse. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. It begins in faith. It's refined in truth. And it's expressed in worship. When we understand who God is, we begin to worship Him. God communicates His essence and His presence through our worship. Not only in the worship that we're engaging in in this place right now, but in the worship of your life, in the worship of your marriage, in the worship of your vocation, in the worship of you helping people out, in the worship of your silence. Let all the earth come before Him in silence. Sometimes the greatest and deepest worship is when we have nothing else to say but you are God. Be still and know that I am God. The prophet in chapter 3 says, His glory covered the heavens and the earth, was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hands. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. When we begin to understand who God is, we will worship. Not only here, but everywhere. And lastly, when we have the consolation of faith, refined in truth, expressed in worship, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. And that's why in the last chapter, in verses 17 and following, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, nor the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice, because I am not putting my faith in something other than God. Yet I will rejoice. Even when things are looking down, I'm going to look up. There's hope in God. Whereas everything else fails. That's why we sing that old song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
So what's the story for me and you? What is the lesson for me and you from the prophet today? Number one, the prophet never lost sight that things could be better. And we can't lose sight that things can be better. Because a lot of times when we see what's happening, when we're hammered with the discontent, when we're hammered with the events around us, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, we want to give up. We want to give up and just live in cynicism. But even though there was so much going wrong in the world, Habakkuk knew it could be better. Can it be better today? Can this world be a better place? Can this church be a better place? Can I be a better person? Don't give up on being better. The prophet, number two, was not just concerned with himself. You know, that's a lot of the problem that we have in the world is that most people concern themselves primarily with who? Themselves. They don't care if people are hungry. They don't care if people are starving. As long as they got their meal at the nice restaurant and as long as they get to fly in their jet, who cares? But the prophet centered himself not only on his own needs but on others. And not only was he concerned about others, he was concerned about the nation of Israel and he was concerned about God. Number three... How many times do we let our circumstances dictate how we feel? Let me tell you, this is the most difficult part. Because our circumstances, our situation, many times dictate our happiness, doesn't it? Not only our happiness, but our circumstances also dictate what? Our integrity. Hey, you know, it's really hard. I was really tempted. I really got to do this, you know? I was put in a difficult situation. I had to give up my integrity. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. But we let circumstances dictate our happiness, our integrity, and then last of all, what we do is we let circumstances dictate who God is. And when we get there, we're at the end of our rope, aren't we? And you see, Habakkuk lived in a world where nations were rising and falling, where there was evil in his own country, And there was even confusion in himself. But yet, he did not compromise who God was. Over and over in the book, you hear the word, Lord, my God, my Holy One, O Rock, Judge. Our present circumstances, whatever they are, are not the last word on who we are. Whatever circumstances we're in, whatever circumstances you're in, it's not the last word on who you are. Whatever circumstances our world is in, it's not the last word, is it? And most importantly, it's not the last word on who God is. Because this is the major point, and the lesson's yours, is that the point of Habakkuk and the point of who Jesus is is that God has not given up on us. 
I hope that resounds with you. God has not given up on me. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on America. God hasn't given up on anybody. So my last question to you this morning is if God hasn't given up on us, that means I can't give up on you. And I can't give up on my country. And I can't give up on who I am. Because God hasn't. And that is the very essence of who Jesus is. Is God not giving up on us. God pursuing us. God seeking us. God loving us. No matter what we do. Do you desire to know that forgiveness that only God can grant? Do you desire to know that contentment that only God can give? The Bible says it begins in faith. And when you begin in that faith, you'll realize the truth and you'll begin to worship and it gives you hope. The Bible says that if we're to follow Christ. We're to believe, we're to repent, we're to confess, we're to be baptized. And that journey begins. It doesn't mean that everything magically disappears. But it means I'm walking with God. I'm walking in fellowship with the Lord. And just as Habakkuk concluded his book, it says, And yet, and yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. If you have any needs this morning of prayer, of healing, prayers of encouragement, or the desire to be baptized, we want to offer everyone that opportunity. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.